Hello, and welcome to Potternot, a podcast for new and returning readers with conflicted Harry Potter feelings. I'm Adela, my pronouns are she, her, and I am, once again, a tired fan. <laughs> I'm Zoe, she, her, a jaded fan, and I'm still excited, but we're in the book now. <laughs> uh, and I am E, my pronouns are she, they, and I am a reluctant fan. This week, we'll dive into the good and the bad of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, chapters 5 to 7. We read Weasley's Wizard Wheezes, The Portkey, and Bagman and Crouch. This is the jump into the magic section of the beginning of the book. Yes. Yep. This is the should have been instead of Dursley's. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we did not need both Dursley's and this. And this is better. Yeah. It reminds me of um, Diagon Alley from the yeah. first book, where it's just like, all right. You ready for some whimsy? <laughs> yeah. Because we got whimsy. whimsy. It's the whimsy and it's also, like Adela said, it's it's the the magic Harry hasn't seen yet chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. E, do you have yeah. some big overarching thoughts before we dive in? Hmm. I'm trying to think of, because there's sort of two bits here, right? There's being the at, the at the Weasleys. House, yeah. And then there's going to the the more where the setup for the World Cup is. Um, I don't know if I have anything broad enough to cover all of the chapters. Uh, just one general thought is that I love the writing of the Weasley family, but being around them would be my nightmare. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's a mood. They are so uh, chaotic and not like... It's presented Functional. as it's presented as fun because it's so much of a contrast to the Dursleys mm-hmm. for Harry, but it is not like it's not always good chaos. Yeah, I think that's actually because Adela had a good point that maybe we should just jump into like general thoughts about the Weasleys because we're spending so much time with them in these chapters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Adela, you had a really good thought here. Um. So growing up reading these books, and even when we first met the Weasleys in the second book, we had a lot of good things to say about them. And a lot of like, there's a lot of comparing them to the Dursleys, because that is what Harry is doing. And this is like, oh my goodness, Harry finally has a like a loving family to spend time with. But, but no family is perfect. <laughs> and the Weasleys are not perfect. And I don't think the books try to make them perfect. But I think that the books try to make them appear better than they are yeah. because of the way that Harry, yeah. because we are seeing it from Harry's perspective, he doesn't have the, he doesn't have the experience to recognize the problems with the Weasley family because none of them are directed at him. He mm-hmm. sees the Weasley family as ideal because there's all of these siblings and all of this love. And everything direct and everything that's directed at him is always kindness. Yeah. yeah. And Mr. and Mrs. Weasley, like, both go, like, really far out of the way to be kind to Harry, specifically. Yes. I, this is a thing that I never really thought about. and But thinking about it, um, I started thinking about it kind of a few months ago because they were talking about it again on The Gaily Prophet, my other favorite Harry Potter podcast. They were t- they've been talking a lot about, they're reading the second book, right? Or where I am in the podcast, they're so reading the second book. And they've been talking a lot about the Weasley family and the... Um, dysfunctional parts of the family, which made me pay more attention to it as we were going into this book. Um, 
So I kind of have a whole yeah. long list of things. Mm-hmm. Do we want to? I think it'll be like. Well, I just want to. Yeah. I think we should go through it because I think that there's some really interesting things. But I think that this is also something that we need to keep in mind, and E, yes. you should keep an eye out for because the next section that we're reading. Let me just make sure that the next section that we're reading is what I think it is. Not the next section that we're reading, but the section after chapters 10 to 12. Mm -hmm. There's going to be some evidence of, like, the Weasleys are not organized enough for themselves. And there's some, like, doubt in the usefulness of how they organize their lives. And that grows. There's, like, little bits of the Weasley family that Harry sort of starts to understand are not perfect throughout this book. And then in book five, that sort of explodes because Harry is angry all the time in book five. And he sees the anger and the frustration in other people all the time because that's how he's feeling. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of, you know, I don't know how exactly the book is going to go there, but I think that's potentially a really interesting thing to explore. Yeah. Like, when you're a kid and you hear your friend's parents arguing for the first time Mm -hmm. or something, like, when you realize, you know, and it's around this age, probably, yeah. When you start to realize that, like, oh, you're, like, families can be messed up, and families of people that you like can be messed up, and that's that's a weird thing to grapple with as a kid. Which is kind of the journey, the journey that I've had over the past few months of looking at this. Yeah. yeah. Like, at first, when they were talking about it on The Gaily Prophet, I was, like, I did not want to, like, believe what they were saying. I was like, no, I love the Weasleys, like, they're wonderful. But there is a lot of evidence for them not being wonderful. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I have thoughts about the Weasleys and Percy, which we are not going to get to for a long time yet. But Um, that is related to things that I have to say. So, yeah, I will say I didn't didn't love the writing of Percy in these chapters. Yeah, I mean, I know he's the butt of all the Weasley jokes, but. Yeah, it is intentional. Just, yeah. no, that's that's all I'll say about that. Um, yeah. Should we talk a little bit about the positives and then go through some of the stuff that Adela was going to talk about for the sure. the bits that Harry doesn't see or acknowledge? Um, Charlie and Bill. Charlie and Bill exist. are here. Charlie and Bill, we meet them for the first time. I love that Bill is the epitome of what a cool kid was in the like early <laughs> oh, 90s. Yeah. I'll read the... <laughs> I'll read the quick introductions. So Bill and Charlie, the two eldest Weasley brothers. How are you doing, Harry? Said the nearer of the two, grinning at him and holding out a large hand, which Harry shook, feeling calluses and blisters under his fingers. This had to be Charlie, who worked with dragons in Romania. Uh, Just a note for the audience. Remember that Charlie was willing to take a dragon across international Mm -hmm. lines via two friends who were also happy to just, like, do this Fly their broomsticks up to the top. Yeah. Um, Charlie was built like the twins. This is actually the first description you get of the twins, by the way. Charlie was built like the twins, shorter and stockier than Percy and Ron, who were both long and lanky. He had a broad, good-natured face, which was weather-beaten, and so freckly he looked almost tanned. His arms were muscular, and one of them had a large, shiny burn on it. Bill got to his feet smiling and also shook Harry's hand. Bill came off something as a surprise. Harry knew that he worked for the Wizarding Bank Gringotts, and that Bill had been head boy at Hogwarts. Harry had always imagined Bill to be an older version of Percy, fussy about rule-breaking and fond of bossing everyone around. However, Bill was, there was no other word for it, cool. 
cool. He was tall with long hair that he had tied back in a ponytail. He was wearing an earring with what looked like a fang dangling from it. Bill's clothes would not have looked out of place at a rock concert, except that Harry recognized his boots to be made not of leather, but of dragonhide. Also, hang on, dragonhide dragonhide would be leather, but whatever. Yeah. That um, is leather, but yeah. Well, sure. maybe it would be more like snake skin. It'd be mm. more like an alligator skin like shoe or something. I don't know. That's a good point. Either is- way, it shouldn't be a thing that exists because yeah. why are we making dragons into clothes anyway? <laughs> also, what does Charlie think about that? Yeah, true. Good point. Yeah. Because later the twins, this is not a ba- bad spoiler, later the twins get like dragon hide jackets. How does Charlie feel about all of this? Hogwarts students are required to have dragon hide gloves too. Yeah. Maybe to get them from dragons who die naturally. Maybe dragons can you recover? Can you use the skin from like a molting? I was gonna say maybe they shed. It's unclear from the books whether or not they shed, but that would be a good assumption. Anyway, Bill and Charlie are very cool. Um, I have seen um, that scene. That scene of Harry being introduced or them introducing themselves to Harry as evidence for um, Harry being bisexual. Because of the way oh. he reacts to Bill. Because he thinks Bill is so cool. Yeah. Bill is... Harry does not know if he wants to be Bill or be with Bill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is actually a fun thing for me. I prefer... I am also a bisexual woman. So, like, with that context behind my... Same. Personal. I love fix where Harry is, is bi. Because... Mm-hmm. It works with the story fantastically well. And I love stories where he's gay also or queer of any fashion. Like that's, I'm my favorite pairing is Harry and Draco. So there's going to be some queerness introduced in some capacity, but I actually really enjoy the fix where Harry is like in the middle, not necessarily like a bisexual revelation where he understands during the process of falling in love with Malfoy that he's bisexual, but like he has already had that crisis and then he mm-hmm. has a second crisis because he's realizes he's attracted to Malfoy and it's Malfoy. There's mm-hmm. <laughs> some really great fix out there where you see that moment where he's like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. And it's great <laughs> that he goes to either Ron or Hermione and both of them are like, I don't know. Is, are we having a second crisis? Are, is this happening? Um, <laughs> and I really enjoy that. There's actually quite a lot of fix out there that have that sort of That's fun. I don't know, trope or theme or whatever. And it's, it's very cute. Anyway, I agree, Adela. This is Harry being like, I, yes, yes. Look at that earring. <laughs> the one earring. It's the just, one earring. It's so much. It's so 90s. Like, you can just imagine, like, Bill definitely wears, like, almost 70s clothes, right? Because fashion comes in 20-year cycles. Mm-hmm. And in the 90s, 70s clothing and bell bottoms were really popular. Yep. You can just imagine Bill in like slightly bell bottom jeans and like a suede vest with the one earring and his hair and a ponytail looking like almost a little too 70s, but really oh, cool yeah. for the 90s, <laughs> wearing like some vans with his bell bottoms. Like that is what he looks like. Of course, he's wearing dragon hide boots, but like whatever. The point is, I know exactly who he is. Thank you very much, author. This was a great. Do you think he has a mullet? Moment. No. Mm. Okay. No, I, I think, think he, he has didn't like cut his hair. full length hair. Yeah, it's all full length. I think that he's one of those guys who was like, I'm 15 and I'm not cutting my hair ever again. Also, there's a scene like much later in book uh, seven, I think, where Molly is like, I'm going to cut your hair, which is to Charlie. But I think that was literally a mistake because Charlie doesn't have long hair. 
Yeah, I think it was a misprint. In my edition, it does say Bill, but I remember reading it online that like some mm, editions said Charlie instead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway. Anyway, Bill and Charlie exist. There is a moment where Molly is like, oh, you should cut your hair. It's undignified or whatever. There's there's a <laughs> yeah, there's the a dinner. thing in there about how Molly is like yeah. conservative about hair and earrings and whatever. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. land very well for me. I feel like Molly would be way chiller than that. Yeah. Yeah. In the middle of the table, Mrs. Weasley was arguing with Bill about his earring, which seemed to be a recent acquisition with a horrible great fang on it. Really, Bill? What do they say at the bank? Okay, and this is like a whole other thing about colonialism and treasure that I would like to get into in a little bit. Why would she have that stereotype of what your employer thinks about your earring? Literally, how did she acquire that stereotype? Yeah, it's really bad. It is very 90s, though. I mean, I think it's a lot of, yeah, I think it's a lot of like, like putting putting things that are like generally accepted as like this is what a family is into the movies without like much thought about making them actually better. This is what a mother in the 90s would say. Yeah. But how did Molly Weasley acquire that prejudice? Like, we don't even know what Wizarding Society thinks about earrings. Maybe earrings are just rad for everyone. Well, and Ginny makes that point because Molly then says like, and your hair is getting silly. I wish you'd let me give it a trim. And Ginny is like, you're also, you're so old fashioned, mom. Anyway, it's no lo- nowhere near as long as Professor Dumbledore's. Like, clearly there's a whole sector of yeah. wizards who have just like, fuck off long hair. Yeah. Molly just prefers. It's just weird. It's weird. It's um, a weird also, insertion of like, yeah. I have things about the Weasleys. Let's actually, Adela, why don't you, you jump in here? Go through my list. Yeah, go through your list. Because then I have some things about the Weasleys I also want to talk about. Okay. The biggest thing for me is that if you think of all of the interactions we see between Molly and her kids, how, like, what percentage of that is her yelling at them? Mm. It's a lot. It's a lot. And I don't think that's okay. Yeah. I think that Harry doesn't notice because Harry is used to yelling and he is not the one being yelled at. And it's like, because she, because it's never about, it's always about like silly things. It doesn't seem, maybe that's why it doesn't seem as bad. But I think that yelling at kids is always bad, in my opinion, (laughs) unless they are in danger in the moment. And sometimes, often it's like screaming. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of yelling. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how I feel about this because. That's another part of like, this is what a mom looks like, you know, like. I don't know. <laughs> I love my mother dearly, but she and I used to get into screaming matches about like practicing the violin and also when I was applying to colleges, what we could and couldn't afford. Mm-hmm. This feels real to me because I was a teenager and so are all of the Weasley kids. And like, Fair. this is not her yelling at. I believe that small it's re- I, it, I also think that it feels real. I also still think that it's not good. <laughs> That's fair. Maybe that's because, personally, I have a bad anxiety thing about yelling, but... No, I think that you're, I think that you're right. I think it's not great mothering, but I, I do think that it's something that almost everyone does. Yeah. I don't, that's not a good excuse, let me be clear. Right. <laughs> I just think it's, um, A, like, not good, and B, it's just important to point out that that is happening the majority yeah. of the time that we yeah. see her interacting with her kids. Yeah, and I think there are some, like, the Howler was 
a great example of that yeah. as well of like did she really need to publicly that embarrass her child yeah. via yelling yeah. like that mm. we also get and this is specifically with fred and george i don't know if we get this with mm-hmm. any of the other weasleys but in this chapter we get like i don't remember if it's both parents or just mrs weasley like specifically um destroying like a hobby of her son's mm-hmm. it's in the next chapter it's in the port key yeah, a hobby and something that they were like, we could turn this into a legitimate business. Like, this is something we could go up and do. The thing that that's that's near the bottom of my list. I'll go back to the other stuff. But the yeah. thing, the way that like Molly completely dismisses Fred and George's it's so interests bad. and um, innovation and like intelligence. Yeah, they are so smart and they are so clever and i don't know yeah like they're really good at what they're doing yeah it what it reminds me of it's just the thing that i just thought this while reading this book this time it reminds me a lot of like conservative families that fight against their kids going into the arts Mm. like you need to get a real job yeah like you need to get a real job like that's what it feels like to me with them wanting to do joke shop stuff yeah i feel like that's the parallel that jkr is sort of trying to intentionally draw like there's a comment mm. about how like they their parents want them to go into the ministry also a really interesting thing that i noticed uh is when she's i, I think it's yeah it's in this in the first chapter that we read in weasley's wizard wheezes um she says something about them having no ambition which is a mm. slytherin trait and i just thought that was interesting um, because the entire family are Gryffindors. And I was like, imagine if Molly was a Slytherin. But also, like, completely wrong. They have an ambition. It's oh, they not, absolutely have ambition. It's just yeah. not the one that she wants. I was going to yeah. say, because what she wants is for them to have Percy's ambition. Mm-hmm. A lot of her, uh, like, when she's criticizing her younger sons, it is like, why can't you be more like Percy? Yeah. Another thing that is bad is a problem yeah Just setting up yeah. one of your children as um, a model for the other ones exactly Bad for everyone including percy yeah and then the the biggest thing for me is how like we kind of already touched on this but how differently we talk a lot about molly but the, i feel like we see a lot more of molly's parenting than we see of arthur's parenting yeah, yeah. the overly restrictive versus overly permissive yeah yes but what we already kind of mentioned touched on is that like not all of the kids are not treated equally and not like not in the way that like different children have different needs not that kind of unequally no it's like these these children's needs are more important than these children's needs especially i find this with ron especially because ron and Ginny were born so close together like they were born within a year of each other it feels like a lot more attention is given to Ginny than to Ron. He's just the, the sixth. He's the sixth. Yeah, he's the sixth of like all a whole family of boys, and then they got a girl, which is mentioned somewhere. I can't remember if it's. I think someone says it. Either someone says it in the books, or it's on Pottermore, or it's just some, people have talked about it about like the Weasleys had so many kids because they just wanted a girl, <laughs> and mm. they kept trying until they got a girl, which is not great in itself. It's understandable, but, like, to just sort of disregard, like, Fred, George, and Ron. And I think that that explains a lot of what you will see from Ron in this book and the next few books, but especially this book. 
um, Ron kind of reacting to the way that he is given less attention by his family, Mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. And you see this at the very first book, right? I've got um, Charlie's old wand and Percy's old rat. Yeah. He's got like hand me down everything. Hand me down, hand me down everything. And the fact that like, his parents don't know enough about his interests to like know that he doesn't like the color of maroon to know that he doesn't like this type of sandwich and like he could you know it's like little things like that that like aren't a big deal but if they pile up it makes sense why ron would get like bitter about it and they're big deals to a child yeah i mean some of this is like maybe a symptom of the weasleys being poor Mm-hmm. Which like Which is a whole separate issue because that doesn't make separate sense. issue because that doesn't <laughs> make sense. But um, but like I mean, this happens in families with a bunch of kids who mm-hmm. you know just need to hand me down things from yeah one kid to another. Like uh, my family didn't have a lot of kids. I got hand me downs from other families. Same. Like mm-hmm. all of the clothes that I wore in middle school were hand me downs from like other families with with children like a year or two older than me but there's like there's obviously so many other things at work here with the parenting does anyone have things to say about like arthur's arthur and arthur's parenting because i don't have anything written down for that other than like passive i will later in the book okay um like my whole my main point is like is not to say oh my god the weasleys are horrible i hate them i love them (laughs) um i just it's important i feel like it's important to point out that they're not as ideal as you might think when you're reading it at first yeah i think it's really important and i think it's a theme that we're going to come back to in this book on in the fifth book yeah yeah i mean like yeah adela think about book seven true 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 like there's a lot that happens with the weasleys and how they parent is a huge part this book in the midwinter section of this book i find very fascinating some things that happen etc etc i think it's also at easter but oh yeah yeah there's a lot happening in this book with the weasleys and i think that you the audience if you are reading along but also e adela's bang on we are coming back to this (laughs) yeah just especially i feel like especially just because we see ron a lot more than we see any of the other weasleys i feel like it is very clear through ron that Mm -hmm. some of the parenting choices are damaging yeah yeah i mean this book is going to be like this is sort of the turning point right where the series becomes teen Mm -hmm. level rather than children's level oh yeah and so yeah can I talk about Gamp's Law and yeah, yes, food stasis? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, let's talk about... <laughs> <laughs> it's time for Zoe's magical theory lesson. Um, it's so, time. So in the chapter, in chapter five, Weasley, Weasley's, Weasley's <laughs> Wizard Wheezes, uh, there's a section where uh, Mrs. Weasley is cooking. Delightful writing in that scene. Yes. Absolutely delightful. Um, she's sort of banging things around the kitchen. She's pissed off. It's actually very fun, um, as per usual. And there's a couple of things that happen here that I would like to explain 
with a fandom headcanon and also with canon, um, which is what this podcast is. So um, this is actually right after she says that Fred and George have no ambition, which we have already pointed out is not the case. Um, So Mrs. Weasley slammed a large copper saucepan down on the kitchen table and began to wave her wand around inside of it. A creamy sauce poured from the tip of her wand as she stirred. Step one, conjure Alfredo sauce. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Step two, for some reason, put it in a copper pan. Why? Why? Whatever. Point is. Listen, J.K. Arrow may be many things, but she seems to not be a cook. Well, well, Ms. Weasley is a known good cook and great baker. So in book seven, (laughs) I'm just jumping right ahead here. We've actually talked about this already. Yeah, go ahead. Pull up the PowerPoint. Is Gamp's Law. And Gamp's Law indicates, and we looked at this, we looked this up and we couldn't find an entire description of Gamp's Law. But the part that we did find has to do with whether or not you can conjure food. And the rule is in JKR's world that has been created and that has no structure to the magical theory that we are going to add structure to right here and now, as you're listening, you cannot conjure food that doesn't already exist. You can multiply it or expand it or add to it, but you cannot conjure it out of nothing. And so what it looks like here is that she's conjuring food out of nothing. Do you think she's like conjuring like all the ingredients from various places in her kitchen and like they just come out of her wand as Alfredo sauce? <laughs> that could be, but here's the headcanon that I'm pulling from. So in, in one of my, so I keep talking about my favorite f- flavor of Harry Potter fic is Harry Draco. And my favorite flavor of Harry Draco fic is the, fuck, I'm about to give a spoiler. It's fine. <laughs> How big of a spoiler. You're not going to know what this is, so don't worry about it. It's the Grimald Place fic. Mm. Fixing, living, whatever the situation. And the point is, is that there is a fantastic fic in which in Grimald Place there is a stasis room. And that is where all of the food that has been collected for generations, basically, has been held. Is There's a permanent stasis charm, and it's held together by the magic of the building, And that is where the food lives. And so apples that were picked in the 16th century are just as ripe as the day that they were picked. And they live in this larder, basically. Sounds pretty good. And I think that this is incredibly good headcanon. And it has a lot to do with how it's tied to the magic of a building and the magic of a house and sort of... This, just to be clear, this specific room is is headcanon. That's fic. Yeah. Yes. Um, and the thing that I'm about to describe about how like houses have innate magic and sort of understand what's happening, that's also headcanon, but it makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. And the sort of stasis is tied to the magic of the house. Okay. So all but of that also is, makes is sense Gamp's for Law. Mrs. Weasley. <laughs> yes, exactly. So now we have our basis. We have Gamp's Law, we have, and that's canon. And then from headcanon, we have stasis chambers tied to the magic of a house and specifically a wizarding house. Here's my theory. Are y'all ready for this? <laughs> Absolutely. Hit me. Mrs. Weasley does batch cooking. She yep. cooks like a bunch of shit and then she put in like small amounts, but like a lot of different things in small amounts. And then mm-hmm. she puts it in the fucking stasis chamber. And then all she has to do is multiply it from the stasis chamber, which is tied to the magic of the house, which she is in. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, the, the logical extension of this, like if J.K.R. had used her brain for like a minute. When she was developing a magic system, was like the logical extension of this is a scarcity free world. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, 
unless you go into it with restrictions on conjuring things from nothing, which she clearly didn't. No, because it is a total... The reason that the stasis chamber situation and people finding plot holes about food throughout the books exist is because Gamp's Law is in book seven. Yeah, it's a big retcon. Like, people are conjuring stuff from nowhere constantly. All the time. Like, somebody conjures a tablecloth in this in this chapter. And, like, that's actually okay because it's not food or water. Right, but the logical extension of that is, okay, we can conjure clothes. We can conjure yes. books. We yes. can conjure houses. A house. You can conjure... I just, the fact... In other words, the Weasleys should not be poor. And nobody should. This is should. what I've been arguing the whole time. I don't understand why they're described as poor. I there do, is I no don't understand. reason for poverty or anything like, or even like a class distinction based on yeah. wealth yeah. to exist in a world where you have magic and the only reason it exists is because she's trying to replicate, like, society as yes. she saw it in the 90s in England. Yes. Because she couldn't imagine. Which, like, if you want to do that, fine, but then you need to change your magic rules to make it fit that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, yes. I think there's nothing wrong with saying, yes, poverty exists in the wizarding world, and here's, like, a poor family, but it has to make sense <laughs> yeah and if gamp's law exists earlier in the series then it's it makes a little more sense right like yeah they have to spend money on food or grow it themselves in order to have the food to cook the food right you would have to like a stasis put a little chamber bit and of then, thought into right. like okay here's how hogwarts actually does these giant banquets is that they well, have like a you big will find that out in this book that is you that will be a nice big reveal in this book good mm -hmm. um yeah, but then she would have had to put thought into her writing, and God forbid. I love how E has given up all pretense of being nice about the, the author of these books. I it's great. Care. It's my favorite thing. It's I know, I love it. It's good. So, it's, it's so good. It's great. It's, um, please This continue. is like my ongoing complaint about how the Weasleys are written has to do with this intersection between poverty and magical theory. Mm -hmm. So thank you for listening to my magical theory <laughs> lesson um, Thank you for this I will talk. find so the fic that I am talking about, and we will put it in the show notes. It is great. E, you cannot read it. It is so completely full of spoilers. <laughs> yeah, no worries. I, I just assume that I cannot engage with any like fan content at this point until I finish the series because unless we link it for you. <laughs> yeah. While we're still on the topic of the Weasleys, before we move on to the next chapter, do you want to hear about my headcanons about which Weasleys are not straight? Absolutely. This is all headcanon, but like I think it's based in yeah. evidence. Yeah. I mean listen, we know that the author will pull out her own teeth before she admits anyone yes. in this series nobody is, is so like, nobody is allowed to be gay except for it. Dumbledore that is the yeah and only because he is dead yeah yep uh-huh that is the thing I hate the most about Pottermore anyway is <laughs> yeah we'll talk about that later but like when she talks about <laughs> the future and the past of any character they're all straight anyway um anyway the Weezies who I think are not straight Bill clear fire pan is my opinion i've also seen some good headcanon of him being gender fluid or non-binary mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think charlie is gay or he could be ace also 
Charlie being gay is actually really common throughout yes, the fandom. I have definitely seen that. Is that just because the author didn't make him straight? Yes. Yeah, the author didn't do anything with him. and Yeah, the author doesn't do anything with him, and therefore he is gay. And every time Harry comes out to Ron in fandom, where he is queer of some kind, and Ron is like, yeah, Charlie's gay. Why would I have a problem with you being queer? Nice. Like that is Ron's response across the fandom, across fic. That's good. I like that. Yeah, I also could see Charlie being asexual. Yeah. Just because he doesn't seem very interested in people in general and mostly just wants to work Be with dragons. dragons. <laughs> um, and then uh, George. I, I think George is gay. Um, I enough. hate what J.K.R. wrote about him after the oh, books. No. Oh, and I really? Will, we will talk That's about That's like later. the one I don't I, mind. I hate it with a passion. Anyway. Okay. Uh, and I always, like, I don't know. I, I kind of, I thought this early on in reading the books. I don't remember, but definitely in high school, I was thinking that, that George was gay. Um, and that he should have ended up with Lee. Anyway, or at least at some point. <laughs> um, and then I think Ginny is by. I don't think that I think Ron is straight. Yeah, Ron but is extremely I think, straight. And Percy. Can Percy submit, could potentially not be straight. I would like to submit Percy for Ace. Okay, yeah. I mm-hmm. can see that. I can see that. I think there's a degree of of uh compensation on Percy's part mm. that is familiar as a ace teen. Yeah. yeah just okay. like I Yes, totally absolutely. I do absolutely have feelings. <laughs> Yes. Oh yeah, with the way yeah, with Penelope with Penelope yeah, yeah that no that that's a good good one. Um, in fic across the Harry Potter fandom, Ginny and Luna are a couple. Yeah, so that's why I was like Ginny's Ginny's by yeah. Also, Ginny, um, Ginny and or Luna. Sometimes it's a thruple situation or an open relationship situation, and Pansy Parkinson. Interesting. Have I met her? No. Well, you have, but you wouldn't recognize her. Do the fix just make her nice, or, like, what? No. Oh, no. She's (laughs) spicy. Okay. Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah, so that's that's it. Those are my my headcanons. Very good. Very good. I I look forward to getting more of Fred and George as individual people and not just part of a set. Mm, Don't look forward to that too much. I think you ever get that. Yeah. You get it? It sounds like I might have to wait till the epilogue. But yeah, mine is like very much. My thoughts about George are very much like in me high school me looking very closely at the different ways that Fred and George interact with people. Sure, <laughs> and I don't remember like what glass. I was looking at that made me think that. <laughs> but well, I'll I'll hold out some hope <laughs> on that. Um, I'm just going through to make sure that we're covering all the things. Oh, I just want to briefly mention colonialism and treasure. Oh yes. Um, Mrs. Weasley's talking to Bill about his hair and whatever and um, says what did they say at the bank mom no one at the bank is a damn how I dress as long as I bring home plenty of treasure remember book he's three a tomb raider with- right he's a fucking tomb raider yeah how is that I'm a just- bank job since when is it a bank job to steal treasure you gotta put those tomb ratings somewhere I guess no there's an actual reason for this and it's the reason we don't use a gold standard anymore because gold standard doesn't work because there's a finite amount of gold in the world. Oh, yes. 
this is like they are on a they are on a precious metal standard as an economic flatline for the wizarding world which means that they have to have a continuous supply of precious metals which means he has to go to egypt and tomb raid yeah yeah because they need silver and bronze and gold mm-hmm. cool good so, society is this just maybe in the 90s was it just like a normal thing because I, I know that this is an issue there was an issue in like britain specifically of like tomb raiding in egypt like people oh from yeah that was totally doing that thing. when did egypt uh gain independence from british control i feel like it was post-world war one uh 1922 february 1922 yeah not that long ago yeah i do think so but to follow up on that point that adela said i do think that like Egypt as a place that is under British control was definitely probably still in like the cultural memory of oh, English absolutely. people at that point. 100%. Like, like JKR's parent or grandparent would have been alive when Egypt was a British colony. Yes. And that would have just been like a thing. And it's referenced in movies, like, I'm gonna reference a wild movie to choose for this, but The Mummy? Uh-huh. Yeah. This is, like, a common reference across, like, treasure hunting movies, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I saw, my parents were watching, like, Hercule Poirot Oh, stuff, yeah. And there's, there's Egypt in that, like, just going to Egypt and solving murders at just, like, archaeology, quote-unquote archaeology, read tomb raiding. Yeah. Sites. Egypt, Morocco, the entire like North African and Iberian Peninsula situation. Anyway, it yeah. bad. Um, it's a whole thing. Um, should we move on to the Porky chapter? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now that we have spent like almost an hour on the Weasleys, which I think needed to be spent. Yes. Anyway. Yeah. It's a good place to do it because there's a lot to say about the Weasleys. There sure is. I feel like there's less to say about the. This is, I think, where we talk about clothing. Yeah. Because this chapter starts with Mr. Weasley being like, are these the clothes that muggles wear? Um, And so we read the Wizarding World page on clothing in the magic world. And it's bad. It's It's just stupid. I'll just give a quick summary of the clothing page. Uh, Basically, wizards have a secret language. They wear green and purple to indicate that they are magical um, when they are out and about in the muggle world. And the reasoning that JKR gives for why it is that wizards are so bad about muggle clothes is that when wizards are teenagers and children, they're very up on the mag- on the muggle world. But as they get older, they just keep whatever those styles were. And so then by the time they have to go back out for like a Quidditch World Cup, say, the clothes that they have are 20 or 30 years out of date and they look really out of place and strange. Um, if they are 20 years out of date, then congratulations, you are with the times because fashion goes in 20 year cycles. But if you're 30 years out of date, then you are horribly unfashionable. But she also writes that they're like, not just ignorant or either ignorant or like flouting the rules of like what you wear to different events. Yeah. Which seems weird because surely like you don't show up in, in hot pants to a funeral in wizard society either. Yeah, there's just a lot of really silly nonsense in this article that reflects the silly nonsense about clothes in this chapter. 
Day to day, however, even those who detest muggle clothes wear a version of muggle clothing, which is undeniably practical compared to with robes. Anti-muggles will often attempt to demonstrate their superiority by adopting a deliberately flamboyant, out-of-date, or dandyish style in public. But muggle dandyish style. Everybody fucking knows what pants are. Yeah. yeah. And not just underwear pants in the British slang, pants as in trousers. She keeps doing this, like, again and again, where it's just like, any aspect of muggle society, whether it be clothes or looking for the right bus or electricity or literally dollars that have like pound notes that have the numbers on them which just like being completely ignorant of which is wild a wild thing for her to try and uphold um we got a really good uh comment from zig on our previous episode which i think i want to pop in here because yeah it's about this exact thing so zig says I think Wizards not understanding muggle things is a holdover from the kind of book elements of the earlier books that J.K.R. just refuses to ever investigate more seriously as the books get more serious in general. Because if you do think about it, their perpetual ignorance of even supposed professional scholars about muggles is a massive indictment of the wizarding world. Not only do they have endless means to observe muggles undetected, right down to the ability to literally read minds, there are muggle-born wizards. And they have this entire field called Muggle Studies, which fails to include the knowledge and experiences of the many Muggle-born wizards in that same society. Um, and it becomes honestly quite a grim picture of systematic exclusion and willful ignorance. He goes on to say, of course, this is surely unintentional. And I'm not sure JKR even knows what systematic racism is. But the joke is basically that Arthur Weasley is clueless on account of being an old-timey British anthropologist studying Muggles instead of you know, as a replacement for colonialized peoples. But Arthur is written as innocent and harmless with his implausibly foolish bumbling. And those sort of, you know, real-life old-timey anthropologists were not simply innocent bumblers, but were instead of, uh, were instead enablers of a belief system underlying a monstrous system of racist imperialism. Which is a really good comment, like... Shout-out to Zig, this was great. Shout-out to Zig, this is a really good comment. Yeah, like, on the one hand, wild that she continues to try and, like, bring this weird, silly ignorance in, the more and more implausible it gets that they just know nothing. And then because the book is, the books are getting more serious, so it becomes more serious that, like, yeah, they're, like, just not paying any attention at all. Like, they're willfully not even trying. It's weird. I don't like it. I will continue to not like it. Uh, porky things. Other porky things. Uh, splinching. Splinch. It's just a good word. E. What do you think? I think porkies are really cool. I agree with with. Um, why don't they do that more often? Yeah, I think that porkies porkies seem a lot more comfortable than apparating. You you learn from Harry's perspective later how apparating feels, and it's not it's great. Bad. But porkies seem pretty like fine and also very practical another thing this is unrelated to porkies but um earlier in the chapter we see mrs weasley using the accio spell um the summoning spell that's new which i think is a a good example of a way that jkr can introduce spells before we need them later in the book that she could have done in book three with stupefy yeah there's no reason to just not have other yeah. spells like, this is a great example of showing a spell without it 
having any reason, like anything to do with the plot or anything. It's just. Yeah, because people just use other spells, it turns out. I think this might be the first time we see someone use a spell, like do magic and use a word that's not like learning it in school. Possibly. Other than obliviate, I guess. Um, That comes in about three pages. Um, True. I just want to remark upon the (laughs) uncharacteristic effort that the author put in uh, trying to like justify how all of these wizards can get to one place. (laughs) Because that is not a thing she has ever considered before. Like... (laughs) The logic behind a situation. Yeah, like the the Hogwarts train, the the getting a dragon to Romania, just how there's dragons in Romania, like just wandering around Diagon Alley, like anything. And this is the thing she decides to be like, no, I have to explain exactly how this works. Yeah. <laughs> it's like very similar feeling to when she explains how the World Cup happens. Yeah, in the Pottermore like, pages. Yeah, just like we why? don't need that. I feel like in the book, the explanation of how wizards get there is fine. It's yeah. fine, but it would have been just as fine if she had just not explained that, and they went with the port key and they set up their silly tent, and yeah, and that was that. that was it. I love those tents. The tents. The are tents are so cool. Incredible. I want to give a shout out to the poor campsite manager. Uh, yeah, need to talk about that. We do need to talk about that. Memory around um, 10 times a day. Before we do that, I would like to do a live Google um, because I don't oh, know yeah. what this is and I would like to know what this is. What the fuck oh, are yeah. plus fours? There's plus a wizard that shows up fours. in plus fours. I assume this is clothing plus fours. I assume they're big boots. They are they're trousers or trousers that extend four inches below the knee and thus four inches longer than traditional knickerbockers, hence the name. Ah, plus four inches. Knickerbockers have been traditionally associated with sporting attire since the 1860s. Okay, I am not going to lie. I always assumed that plus plus fours were those big boots that you put on like overalls. Oh, that's what I that's what I pictured too. I was like, I thought they were some type of overalls. Yeah, (laughs) like the like fisherman overalls. Knickers. They're just breeches that go four inches below your knee. Plus four. Okay, well, that was not as interesting as I wanted it to be, but thank you for going along on this live Google with me. I want to talk about why Why are there muggles here? Oh, yes. Yeah. Why are the campsite managers, why are they muggles? I thought we were at an abandoned moor. No, I think this is a normal campsite. It did say an abandoned moor. It didn't say a camp. it was a campground. Yeah, they apparently mm. picked an abandoned moor that was also right next to a functioning campground. Maybe the the stadium itself is on the moor, but everyone's staying on the campground. But you're right, Adela, that doesn't... Sense. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense, because she goes to all this length to describe how secret they're trying to keep yeah. it. Yeah, it would be so much... Literally, I'm sure it'd be so easy to just have... to hire a couple of wizards to be campsite yeah, managers. They don't, need, they don't need a real campground. They're obviously conjuring their own tents. Having muggle campsite managers necessitates doing the memory charm and on Mr. Roberts 10 times a day, apparently, which, which is really thought to be damaging to his yeah, he's brain. Be not a person after this. Yeah, yeah, it is. And then all of the like weird charades about like lighting their fires with matches and yeah, whatever. It seems like, um, 
Obliviate is a charm that has like different levels to it because it's used throughout the books in different ways where like sometimes it's obliviating their entire memory and some but most often it's like their memory of specific thing so Mm -hmm. like in this case it's like just obliviating I'm assuming like his memory of whatever he saw that day or that those last few hours but like still gonna be damaging (laughs) I mean the spell is called Obliviate yeah what Mm -hmm. It's going to be hurting their brain. It can't be harmless. It's bad, and also, like, just, like, I don't know, it's unethical. Yeah, it's really unethical. The charm is is unethical in itself, but doing it on an unsuspecting muggle for no reason? Yeah. Wild. Uh, We meet uh, Mr. Cedric Diggory. Is this Robert Pattinson? Yes. Okay. (laughs) I knew it I is. knew there was a kid played by Robert Pattinson that had yet to this show is, up. This is he. This, this is has he. To be. We did see him in book three. Uh, they they played a match against Huffle, Hufflepuff yeah. in the first game. The first game, which is the one that Harry fell off his broom because of the yeah, Dementors. They, they talk about that. Um, and in yeah. the movie, in the movies, it's two different actors. Yeah, because they didn't know that Cedric was going to be an important character when they made the third movie. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um. um we baby wizards, the babbies, <laughs> babbies. There's some very cute. There's babbies. wee babs. I love Kevin, the little Kevin you bust who slept on the slug. You bust slug. <laughs> this is this is what children are. Yeah, children just like yeah. And I love the little one on the little toy broomstick. Yeah, around. Uh, I love kids. Babies. Babies. Magical babies. I love it. We could go into how JKR doesn't actually give any considered time to non-European mm-hmm. cultures, but I don't feel like this chapter is worth it. Yeah, we'll get into that in the next chapter, probably. We get a couple of passing mentions of, like, there's a team from Uganda, or there's a, somebody had a pen pal in Brazil, mm-hmm. or... There's a group of gossiping witches from the Salem Witches Academy. Which is great. Institute. Like Harry's like walking through the campground and he sees uh I think three African wizards. Roasting rabbit over a very large purple fire. Which is whatever. I mean everything's weird here. <laughs> I have a headcanon. They pass a tent with peacocks. That's Oh, that's the, the Malfoys. That's the Malfoys. That's it's one hundred percent the Malfoys. I th- I have always thought that. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't, it's not a spoiler to tell you that they do have peacocks, E. The Malfoys do have yeah. peacocks. I think I may have even, that may have even come up before. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember. Um, let's talk about this Tumblr post that Adela has about wizarding schools in America. Yeah. Um, and Area 51, because it's great. Oh, yeah, so, there are two different Tumblr posts, but. The shorter one is, um, this is a deactivated account that did the first post, but Area 51 is just the American Wizarding School. Aliens is a perfect cover story. And then um, a couple of other people are commenting, students making UFOs as pranks. It's traditional as, a, as the Fred Wizard Tournament. Um, and there was no alien that they found. That was a fucking house elf. So this tracks Area 51, definitely. As we learn, I think in the next couple of chapters, or at some point early in this book, we learn about how Hogwarts is like, hidden from muggles and that all wizarding schools have some sort of way to keep them like a secret from muggles so yeah that's fun area 51 is the perfect cover um, it is kind of funny that this is the chapter where harry's like 
huh, yeah, I guess other schools exist, probably. The the fun, yeah, the funny <laughs> thing. <laughs> like, that had never come up before now. The other Tumblr post is um, because JKR created in Ilvermorny, which is the, the school that's in Fantastic Beasts movies. Um, and then people in North America were like, um, the North America is larger than Britain. We can't have like one wizarding school for the entire North America. Um, so I can read it if you want. I've got it pulled up. Sure. Um, Ilvermorny, which is the original, is School of Witchcraft and Wizardry Northern School on Mount Greylock in Massachusetts. Okay. Finoki, uh, School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, Southern School, hidden deep in the Okefenokee Swamp in Northern Florida, has an alligator on its crest, desegregated in the 1960s. I'm guessing, although the the OP doesn't say, but I'm guessing that's a Cherokee word. That would be my or, guess as well. Or seminal. Correct. It could be a seminal word. Uh, Mary, Marie Laveau Institute of Magic, historically black school, hidden in a cleverly disguised cemetery in New Orleans, teaches African-American voodoo and conjuring. I have issues with that, but with just the, the the way that one was phrased. Uh, Las Vegas School of Magical Arts, West Coast School. West Coast is a stretch for Las Vegas, but we'll go with it. The world's newest wizarding school controversially teaches muggle technology alongside magic, regularly recruits for the CIA, NSA, FBI, and NASA. Buzz Aldrin is a graduate. I love that one. I wouldn't call it West Coast, but I do like it. I think the implication there is that like kids from the West Coast go to this one. Yeah, I just love the idea yeah. of teaching te muggle technology along with magic. I feel like every school yeah. should be doing that. Tech magic. Tech magic. Yeah. The North American Academy and Academy of Indigenous Magic, what originally started as a native boarding school, was taken over by native women in 1895 and has since been a safe haven for magical indigenous children. Since most native children learn traditional magic at home, the NAAIM teaches them methods of indigenous resistance and community building alongside magic. So there's a couple of other schools that are listed here that other people are suggesting. San Hermilda Escuela de Bruxelles. Bujeria, uh, disguised as a crumbling 17th century mission on the Southern California coast, was originally a Mexican school, but after the Treaty of Guadalupe, it was folded in the American wizarding school system. Today is educating students from both countries. It is the only primarily Spanish-speaking school in America. It incorporates Mexican and Santeria, indigenous magic of Southwestern tribes. Some people are saying that uh, Florida is probably not the right place for a school. I would disagree, but saying that... Um, it would be Massachusetts versus Virginia for who got the first school. As someone who attended college in Virginia and is the second oldest school in the United States, second only to Harvard, which is in Massachusetts, <laughs> I agree with this. But I think that there should still be a school in Florida. Um, people think that North Carolina would be a better option and that there should be an Appalachian school. I want someone to add all the Canadian schools. That's my issue with this post is there's nothing Canada. <laughs> that's also true i do think that it makes sense for america to have six schools and canada could probably have like three and we'd be fine because we have a lot smaller popula population i actually assumed that the more north american academy of indigenous magic would be in canada i, guess um, so. I also assumed that would be in in Does like it, either i guess it doesn't like, say where it is the person yeah, who that one the northern the northern midwest or yeah whatever the and equivalent one... of the midwest is in canada like the central there's a comment that says, where do the Midwestern children go? And the, the response is, Ilvermorny. My family history is actually all Midwestern on both sides of the family. They're Union soldiers. They take the train to get to Ilvermorny. I disagree. I think that they go to a school in um, Southern Canada. I think that yeah. Adela is right. There should be a school in Southern Canada that covers yeah. the Midwest. Um, yeah. But this is a great, great like Tumblr post. One in Ontario, probably one in Alberta or BC, and one like up north. Yeah. Why? They would need to be one up north. Um, I also assume that there would be a school in Hawaii. 
Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And obviously, yeah. like, multiple schools in Mexico and Central America and South America. And also Area 51, which is a separate Tumblr post, but obviously <laughs> this is true. Yes. So JKR got it completely wrong, and we love all of these. But also the Salem Witches Institute is, like, graduate school. At some yeah. point, I feel like we, I think we've talked about this at some point, we will look at the Ilvermorny history right up because it has a lot of things that I want to argue about <laughs> not argue about it's I don't like it I yeah. just want to talk about it yeah. we're gonna fight it we're I want to talk about not liking it paid we will bring it up so that we can kick it um yeah. Weatherby Weatherby <laughs> which is clearly just Mr. Crouch not reading the word Weasley when I that makes so much more sense because the first time I read it, I assumed it was somehow him getting Percy wrong, which I could not figure out. But Weasley <laughs> makes much more sense. I I think that he he misread it when he first when Percy first got hired, and then he, it like became like a nickname. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that Percy wants to bang his boss. There's a weird joke, uh, in the. I think chapter five that Ron makes about yeah Percy wanting to bang his boss. It's which... a bad joke, but also when you see Percy and Mr. Crouch when they're at the campsite. You know how when your parents decide that you're the perfect child and you're, all your siblings have to look up to you and then they ruin you to be a perfectionist in life forever? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm feeling a way about Percy. That's fair. That's very fair. I I read it as less Percy wants to bang his boss and more of I have to be perfect to every authority figure I come across because that's how my parents raised me. Yeah. There's probably both. I can totally see that. We kind of breezed right past the mention of the tents. Can we talk about how fucking cool the tents are? Yeah. Does she explain how bigger on the inside works? Expansion charms. Okay. Yeah. It's not an exciting description or reason, but... But it's a thing. It's a I thing. I love it. Works. I love it. I also love it. It's very good. So there's, a, there's actually a great promo still from movie four that they released of the tent and of the inside of the tent. And that was the background on my computer for like a really long time because it's, it's also just amazing set design inside that tent. And it but also great. that tent is way fancier than I would imagine the tent that Perkins gave them would be. Yeah. <laughs> like I picturing pictured it. I mean, it says it says it's like a three room flat. I've been picturing it very like dingy. Yeah, I imagine it being very old. Mm-hmm. It's specifically described as being furnished like Mrs. Fig's house. Yeah, like a white uh, villager. Like suburban, yeah, with like doilies and house. dusty lace. Yeah, it smells like cats. Yeah, but also, what a great concept! Shout out to this concept. Uh, did Harry make good on his buying his friend a present by promising not to get him presents for 10 years? E, you asked, um, yes, but he doesn't hold to it. No. no, I'm sure he doesn't, but I was trying to make sure that was the correct interpretation of that line, yeah. That's that's it. It's because Harry Harry understands how insecure Ron is about their finances. Yeah. And so buying Ron a gift outside of normal gift giving time makes Ron really uncomfortable. Yeah, I understand that. I 
listen, I've been on the receiving end of that. It's it's always weird. But also <laughs> there I feel like there are better ways to respond than Yeah. Okay, this is the only present you're gonna get for ten years. Yeah. That's not that's not how you assuage that anxiety. It's not, but it's a very teenage boy thing to say. It makes sense. I feel like it makes sense for it's very in character. It just makes me cringe as a <laughs> <laughs> as a grown up. I don't know how much more I have to say about these chapters. Just some plot points I want to highlight. Um, we didn't talk at all about Ludo Bagman. Don't worry, we will get back to Ludo Bagman. Yeah. Yes, his name oh, is Ludo. <laughs> yeah. For those who may not be aware, Ludo is the like Latin prefix for game. So, <laughs> I did not know that, know. so that's great. <laughs> There's some betting happening. Fred and George turn over all of their savings. That's a plot point you should remember. Ah, and gambling. the yes. Department of Mysteries is mentioned. You should remember that as a plot point to remember. Um, I would like to ask your fan casts for Ludo Magman, uh, both of you and also the audience. Ludo is not in the movies, so we huh. don't get the um, the benefit of seeing him there. That whole plot line is removed from the movies, which is fine. I forgot to look anybody up because I have a very clear picture in my head of what I imagine him looking like. To me, he looks exactly like Cornelius Fudge, which is to say he is also dressed like a Batman villain. <laughs> gotcha. I have... Brendan Fraser is Ludo ah, Magnum. Okay. Older, gone to sea, got a belly now, used to be super fucking fit, very jovial man, very kind. Oh yeah, I could see that. Just with blonde hair? Just with blonde hair. Yeah. 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 And That's so like, if you look at like old photos of, of Ludo Bagman, it's like Brendan Fraser from The Mummy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you look at him now and he's got like quite a gut but he's still very muscular i would agree with i would agree with that face cast so yeah. that's my fan cast for Ludo bagman but I'm, I'm open to hearing more since we don't get to see him in the movies this is um something i also have a um a theory a fan i have a headcanon that Ludo bagman is actually american and emigrated to the uk that and feels a right but it feels right ludo is, is more of an american name than a british one yeah, and also it just like makes my Brendan Fraser fan cast a little bit <laughs> more accurate. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I think that that's all the plot points I wanted to make sure that you noted. did. We talk about the Pottermore pages at all. We talked about the clothing. We didn't yeah, really we talk didn't. about the, the history of the Quidditch World Cup, which yeah. is very wild and also long. It's yes. wild. I don't know if there's anything that's like really worth. I think the explanation of how the world cup works is absolutely unnecessary it's it's a it's a sports international sports event it happens similar to the way that international sports events happen i don't think it needed to be explained wanted to know how i knew that zoe was gonna like this better than (laughs) i knew it look i was reading this and i was like this is unnecessary but zoe's gonna like it it's this is Mwah, this is what I wanted. <laughs> Except it's not about the Hogwarts tournament. And so it clearly, like, the difference between professionals and juniors or professionals and NCAA, there is a massive difference in how tournaments are determined. And so I'm still not satisfied with the lack of information of how the Hogwarts Quidditch Cup is determined. But this was great. And I absolutely sat down and read the, like, points versus time differential in how <laughs> things are calculated in the final 16. But I want to point out here that there is a really awful rule that she has come up with because she doesn't understand sports. In the case of a tie on points, the winner is the team who caught the snitch most often or most quickly 
during its matches. Those are completely different things. Yeah. Those are different. Those sets. are completely different things. You could have a team that takes four hours to win a game, but every single game they catch the snitch, and so they catch it the most often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Versus a team where they don't catch the snitch every game, but they catch it within the first ten minutes of every game, and you're telling me that that is, that's not equal. That's two different sets of skills, which is why yeah, that's you don't. Different. That's like a variable you cannot. It's not going to break a tie. <laughs> also, it's just also. I don't know. Breaking a tie by looking at that feels weird anyway. Either of those look feels weird to me anyway. But I think it doesn't feel weird to me to use one of them, but you can't use both. I think caught the snitch most often makes sense as a tiebreaker. Yes. Caught the snitch because most that is the team is that nothing. wins the most. Yeah, but not necessarily. And also, that's that's specifically looking at one player, not the whole team. If you're looking yes, at the, how is, much the snitch was caught, that, that's like how good is your seeker compared to everyone else. That is how good is your seeker, but it's also how good is your beater. How good are your beaters to allow the seeker to have right. the space to get to the okay. snitch? And also, do the chasers allow for a points differential so that the <laughs> the because if you're looking at it's a tie, that means that there's a point differential that's too equal be, because the chasers either were too good or were not good enough at getting enough points. And so if you're looking at that, then E's right. Catches the snitch most often is a better determinant than catching the snitch most quickly because catching the snitch most often doesn't necessarily win you the game, yeah. but it does more often than not win you the game, but it doesn't necessarily guarantee that your points were the highest. It just makes sure yeah. that you catch the snitch. And so seeing if you caught the snitch most often, even if you didn't win every game or didn't win the games by the most number of points, that's a better determinant because it means that your team is working together to make sure that the sne- the seeker has the time and space to catch the snitch versus catches it most quickly tells me just that the seeker happens to be really fast and the rest of the team doesn't matter. Anyway, this has been Sports with Zoe. My favorite um, thing on this page is the tournament that nobody remembers. Yes. <laughs> oh, good, because I want to shout out the other short story. So you, you okay. take this one. Uh, the ter- tournament that nobody remembers is the tournament that happened in, uh, supposedly happened in 1877, um, which uh, apparently there were three Quidditch teams, either there were three Quidditch teams in the tournament or there was a Quidditch team that was involved in the strange thing that happened, even though they weren't in the tournament. Uh, basically, the end of August like happened and everyone was like, oh, did, did the World Cup happen? and no one can remember but like there are consequences of it yeah no one can remember anything but there are like the the evidence that there was a tournament because the english beater was missing teeth the canadian seeker so i guess this was a canada team uh game which made me happy um the canadian seeker uh seeker's knees were on backwards and half the argentinian team were found tied up in the basement of a pub in cardiff which um means that there were three teams because there's an English team, a Canadian team, and an Argentinian team. Yeah, why were they all there? Who knows? Why were they all there? Who knows? Because nobody knows what happened in that World Cup. It's great. They think some people think that it was a, a mass memory charm perpetuated by the Goblin Liberation Front front. Um didn't know the goblins could do memory charms, but good on them. <laughs> and this says there was wizards among them. Mm, oh yeah, true. That does say that. Or, like, a weird illness that caused everyone to forget. Please, please. Cerebrumus spattergroit. Yes, sorry. <laughs> Cerebrumus spattergroit. Um, yeah, so that, that that was my favorite thing. 
Uh, I would like to give a shout out to the Attack of the Killer Forest. <laughs> that was a great one. I would like to just point out that she set this short story in 1809 between Romania and Mexico, but at the time Mexico was a Spanish colony, so she calls it New Spain. But apparently it had its own Quidditch team anyway. Uh-huh. Even though it's one per country, d- don't worry uh-huh. about it. <laughs> One of the Romanian players was just like, had such an anger issue that he enchanted an entire forest to attack the Quidditch uh, stadium when his team lost. Or when his team was about to lose. They hadn't even lost yet. Uh, And multiple people were killed, including him. Side note, there's a a lot more after, like after, later in this page, that I didn't realize was on here because I stopped reading when I told E to stop reading. Yeah, I didn't realize lot. that there's a timeline of like yeah, I, games. I scrolled through without reading, but she does write out every match since 1990. What's the one? Oh, the 2014 one is the which is the year there, like there's a whole out. separate page about the 2014 one. Yeah, there is. Um, I think it might be fun to talk about the 2014 Quidditch World Cup next session, next episode. Just because, okay. um, and we can, like, we'll have to do it very vaguely, but I just, I, th- I think of all the things on Pottermore, the, the writing that she did in 2014, for, which was for the 20th anniversary, it was for something. It would have been 20th. For 20th this anniversary book. of, yeah, it was the 20th anniversary of the Quidditch World Cup in this book, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think um, so. And she was doing, I think she was doing it for charity. Maybe also, I don't know. That's usually what she says. But, um, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, I like that. That is probably my some of my favorite writing on of Pottermore things. So there's a lot of stuff on Pottermore that I'm like, this is absolutely unnecessary. But I liked what she did in 2014. Maybe it's because that was a really big year of me loving Harry Potter. Because that was happening. And then that was when Fantastic Beast was announced. And... Ah. Yes, before the decline. Before we realized how terrible it was going to be. <laughs> um, yeah. Before anyway. Turn the corner. Yeah. Boy, we had a lot to say about this one. We did have a lot to say about these <laughs> chapters. I think we will continue to have a lot to say yes. about chapters in this book. They are, as you noted, E, much, much denser and much more adult, much more like high YA mm-hmm. than earlier books and earlier chapters even in this book. Yeah. And... Um, the next chapter chunk that we are reading is um kind of a doozy plot wise. Yeah, yeah. You've only picked two chapters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the next two chapters we're reading is chapters eight and nine. If you're reading along with us, which is the Quidditch World Cup and the Dark Mark, and there's a reason for that. Sounds yeah. important. I've heard I've heard that phrase before. It seems important. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm just going to grab a handful of candy corn. <laughs> yeah, while I'm doing this. Go for it. It uh, is, uh, we are recording this on Halloween, and I yes. am just stuffing, stuffing myself <laughs> with candy corn all day. All right. I have been Adela. You can find me on Twitter at Aredel, A-R-E-D-H-E-L underscore underscore. Also, I just released another game. So if you are interested in TTRPGs, uh, I just released a Halloween-ish spooky two-player game about Will-o'-the-Wisps. It's called Wisp, um, and you can find that at flowerfay.itch.io. 
Uh, I am Zoe. You can find me on Twitter at Zoe Topaz, Z-O-E-T-O-P-A-Z. You can buy my book, Ostentatious, The Evolving World of Jane Austen Fans, wherever books are sold. And I assume this is going to come out actually after the 7th of uh, November, but I believe that if you go to the Glendale, Arizona website that we linked in the last episode, you should be able to watch a recorded uh, version of the panel that I will be on talking about Jane Austen and fandom. So if that interests you, you can go to that link that we included last time and we'll include it again um, and look at some of the recordings. It will have been good. Uh, I have been (laughs) E. You can find me on Twitter at C-E-L-1-0-E. Happy belated Halloween. Uh, happy birthday to my grandfather, who is 105 <laughs> today. Wow. Happy birthday to Kristen. Oh, happy birthday. Is, yeah. Happy birthday to Kristen, who is 31, um, I think. And if it's your birthday, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>